If you have your Bibles or your tablets, please power it on to Jonah. <laughs> or if you have your Bible, please turn to Jonah chapter 1. We are going to go through all 17 verses of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, please follow along with me as I read God's word. Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. And the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down, fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mates, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to you that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stronger, stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord And said, we earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days, and three nights. Lord, we come before you to look at this particular passage, um, not as some sort of mythology, 
not as some sort of allegory, but as reality, as something that has happened in the past. And we are looking at an account of your mercy, and we ask that you can humble our hearts and open our minds and keep our ears attentive to your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We ask that uh, you can be with all of us as we learn this, not only for our head knowledge, but we can apply it to our lives. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. On May 2014, a soldier named Bo Berthal was released from the Taliban in the, from the Middle East. He was held captive there for five years, and during those five years, there were many military campaigns to try to liberate this individual, and lives were lost and resources were spent just trying to find this person. And after five years, a deal was struck between the Americans and the Taliban's. They would release this one soldier for five Taliban members. And when he returned back to the U.S., the United States president gave him a soldier's homecoming. And people from his hometown cheered and celebrated because of his release and return. And it was long after that the media caught wind of why he was captured in the first place. Apparently, he left his post. He walked off the base. He abandoned his mission. He wasn't captured as what, as what people were led to believe, but he was captured and taken because of his own doing. And there was this divide in America on how to handle this individual. There were some people that believed that he should be killed for treason, while others believed that he should be let go since he's, he was captured for five years. The point being that this soldier failed to become a soldier. This soldier is supposed to be devoted to the work of a soldier, Soldiers are to fulfill the duty by keeping the commands and instructions that were given to him. Failure to do this, failure to listen to the authorities, can harm others in, the call, in, in arms, or worse, compromise the security of the nation. Paul describes Christians in these terms. We call, Paul describes Christians as soldiers. In 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others as well. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. As Christians, we too are soldiers and we are given commands and orders. Yet, there are moments in our lives where we fail to listen to God's words. How often in our lives do we fail to listen to the general who sits on the throne of heaven? How often have we walked away from the post from where God has stationed us? How often have we abandoned the mission that God has given us in this life? When we fail to obey the Lord, we dishonor him. We are all at times, and especially times of weakness, spiritual deserters. Yet our God is so much more merciful. Jonah's disobedience is not that far off from our own. If we need an example of our disobedience and failure to obey, there is no other book that I can think of than Jonah. Yet despite Jonah's great disobedience, there is something that we see here that is greater. And that is the mercy of God. Jonah is a book where Christians in our modern day seem to be ashamed of or embarrassed by. 
They read this text and then people laugh at us. People think, oh, you believe in this? You believe that there was a man in the past that was swallowed by a great fish? Yet this is reality because Jesus spoke of this book as reality. He did not speak of this book as myth. He did not speak of this book as fiction. He spoke of this book as history. Jesus spoke of Jonah as a sign for the Jews who wanted a sign from Jesus. They asked him, show us the sign, show us the sign. And Jesus said, look to the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights. That's the sign that he'll give him. He used something that happened in the past as something that Christ will do in the future. And if, as Christians, if we follow Christ, we must, we must receive this book the way Christ received it. As Christians, we must take this book seriously. And the main point in this book is not about a man being swallowed by a great fish, but the mercy of God that's shown to man by a great God. This book is saturated with God's mercy. Just as a wet towel, towel, if wrung, will bring out all the water it holds, so is this book with God's mercy. If you squeeze this book, the substance that will come out, that will be made known in abundance, is the mercy of our God. And as we walk through this chapter, I want us as soldiers of Christ to be faithful to him. As we study this and know the mercies of our God, I want us to be a church that is devoted to him. That we follow his instruction because of how great of a God he is. The more we understand how great of a God we worship, the more we'll devote our lives and living in obedience to him. So as we walk through this chapter, there's going to be four scenes in this chapter that will demonstrate God's mercy. Four scenes in this chapter that will highlight God's mercy so that we can continue to live in a life of faithfulness. So that we can, we can be a good soldier to the point where we are called home, the Lord can look at us and say, well done, my faithful servant. And I trust that if you are a believer here today, you want to hear our Lord say those words to you. So the four scenes. The first scene, we're going to look at is from verse 1 to 3. We're going to call this the commission from God. The commission from God. Notice in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. God appears to Jonah and he gives him a word. He gives him an instruction. God doesn't choose everyone in the Old Testament to be his spokesperson. It's a small group of people that are uniquely called by God to go and declare his word. And this is, the, and this is not the first time Jonah has appeared in the Old Testament. In 2 Kings 14.25, Jonah was, and at the time of 2 Kings, to proclaim a message of blessing to Israel. And during this time of 2 Kings, the ruler was Jeroboam II, and he was not a good king. He, under his rule, Israel became corrupt, and, but at the same time, they were also prosperous. There seems to be this tension going on that Israel, although they were living in sin, they were living in peace as well. Things were easy for them, even though they were living a life of sin. Yet God sends them, God sends Jonah to declare and use a blessing, even though Israel was rebelling against him. God sends a message of kindness in the face of rebellion. And during this time, God, during this time in, the book, in the book of Jonah, God sends him again. He, but he sends him not to declare a message of 
of kindness, but he sends, him, he sends Jonah to declare a message of mercy to a foreign nation. Yet Jonah, we know, he chooses not to follow. Jonah was selective in his obedience. He, could only, he only spoke the messages that he liked. He spoke the message of kindness to those in, in the Israel that were in sin, but he wasn't willing to speak a message of judgment to those that are in Nineveh. In the similar to us as well. God gave us a message to go and declare the gospel news to all nations, but yet how easy it is for us to only share the gospel to only a certain group of people. But we only declare the gospel to people that we like or people that are in our close circles. Yet that's not what God commands. God commands us to speak and make disciples of all nations. We as Christians, too, are a unique group of people set aside by God to do good works Yet we have our moments where we fail to do what God calls us to do. Verse 2. You notice that it says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come before me. You notice that there are three imperatives here. Arise, go, and cry out. God was not asking for suggestions when he told Jonah to arise. God was not suggesting Jonah on what to do when he told him to go. God was not advising Jonah on what to say. He told him to arise, go, and speak against Nineveh. God did not stutter. He told Jonah, arise, go, and cry out. Yet how easy it is for us to be like Jonah, to be like Jonah and ignore what God commands. Jonah's refusal is just like our own refusal when we fail to do evangelism. We're called to go and declare God's judgment. In doing so, we proclaim God's mercy as well. We as Christians are called to get up, go, and cry out to the nations that we're part of. God was not suggesting to us when he told us to arise. He commanded us. God was not advising us to go and witness to our non-believing friends and family. He instructed us. God was not proposing to us to share the gospel. He ordered us to arise, go, and speak. And you may think, well, this city is too corrupt to, be, to receive Christ. This, 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 this city, has given, the Lord has given them up to their hard-heartedness. But look at where Jonah is called to, to minister to. This place, Nineveh, it's a great city. This great is not just described in terms of the size and population, although that is there. In Jonah 3, 3, it said that it took him three days to walk through it. But this is a huge city filled with a lot of people. And instead of going there, we know from just common knowledge, basic Bible knowledge, that Jonah fled and was swallowed by a great fish. The amount of wickedness in the city is so great that it has come before me. This means that the wickedness in this nation has reached excessive proportions and could no longer go without God's punishment. Nineveh is a place that exalted itself and is completely anti-God. It is a major city in Assyria. And let me add a little bit more background to this. Jonah was a prophet during the time of Israel. Remember, we just said that Israel was prosperous. They were wicked, but they were still prospering. But Nineveh at the time was also weak. Nineveh is a city in Assyria and was weakened at the time because Assyria was at war with other nations. Assyria at the time also had widespread famine. There was even civil war that was going on in Assyria. 
Assyria, although they were hated by the Israelites, were not a threat to the Jews. Nineveh was not only physically broken, but at the time, they were spiritually broken. Yet despite all of this, Nineveh is still anti-God and is still self-exalting. Yet our God is merciful. He sent Jonah to a nation that was broken and hates him so that they will become saved. And to the listeners, to those who are in this time reading this, to the Jews and even to Jonah, being sent to Nineveh has certain implications. And that implication is that they can repent. This evil nation can repent and God will relinquish his wrath. In the eyes of Jonah and perhaps others as well, they saw Nineveh as a place that deserved God's wrath. This nation was worthy to be destroyed. This nation merited God's judgment. Yet our God, in light of all of that, showed us mercy. Our God, in light of even our own sinfulness, instead of destroying us or this nation in our place, he decided to rescue us. And he rescued because of his mercy. God is always merciful to undeserving sinners. He provided a way for us to know him. He provided a way for us to know this merciful God, a way to escape the judgment that is reserved for us. This is not one person, there's not one person on this planet that does not deserve the wrath of God. Not one person deserves his mercy. Yet God sent someone to us to hear the gospel. God has sent someone here today for you who are non-believers to to hear the gospel again. God sent Jonah in this narrative to declare salvation to the Ninevites. Verse 3. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish. You notice that Jonah, after hearing what God wanted him to do, just got up and decided to get a one-way ticket to Tarshish. Jonah runs. Jonah leaves immediately. There was no thought There was no seeking for counsel. There was no questioning on what's going on. There was no indication that he was going to go and do what God wanted him to do. Jonah fled from the presence of God. Now, we know that God is omnipresent. There's no real place that he can run from that God is not present. So what this means is that that Jonah was running from God and his instructions. Jonah was rebelling against the Lord. Jonah went to Tarshish. It was just the opposite of where God wanted him to go. It's like if someone told, it's like if God told you, you need to go evangelize to someone in Oakland, and you decide, no, I'm going to take a, go, go get a plane ticket and fly to China. It's like the opposite direction. This is exactly what Jonah did. He decided to go to Tarshish. Jonah, although silent, spoke loudly with his actions. And it is, in, it is, it is an action to God telling him to find someone else. Jonah does not want to do what God expects. Jonah, in this passage, does not even explicitly say why he didn't want to go. But we find out in chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was this not what I said while I was still in my own country? First of all, that didn't happen. He didn't actually say this out loud. He said it in his own heart that he knew that if God told him to go and to witness to the Ninevites, that they will repent. He didn't actually say that, though he thought about it. And he continued on chapter 4, verse 2, Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents 
concerning calamity. Our God is a God that saves. We deserve his wrath, but he's still long-suffering, willing to provide a way to escape his wrath. Although, this, although Nineveh was weakened and the Israelites were enemies, Jonah did not want the enemies of Israel to experience the blessings of Israel. It is the mercy of God to this particular nation that is revolting to Jonah. It is the mercy of God to this particular nation that is revolting to Jonah. Jonah in his action subtly implies that only a certain group of people deserves salvation. And the Ninevites were not one of them. Now let me ask us this question. What about us? Are there people in our lives that we have not shared the have we not shared the gospel to? You realize that it, that negligence in showing the in sharing the gospel and declaring it in your mind it, it implies that they do not deserve salvation. In your indifference, you shout loudly that certain people do not deserve God's mercy. We have a commission from God to make disciples of all nations. Jesus, Jesus has given us the same commandment that God has given to Jonah, and that is to go, that is to arise, go, and speak. And we are to go to our neighbor and, and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to find lost people and bring them the message of the goodness of the cross. We are to see that those who are lost and show them how they can find sight in Christ. How are we doing this area, in the area of evangelism? How are we doing? How many people have you shared the gospel with this past week? What about this past month, this last quarter, this last year? We struggle with evangelism because we often forget how much mercy is shown to us. We are saved by a good God, and God's love for us must propel us to evangelize to those who do not know him. Not only do we see God's mercy and Jonah's failure to obey God's commission, but also in the consequences of disobedience. The next scene that we see is the consequence of, disobe- of, of disobedience. Verse 4 to verse 9. Verse 4. The, the Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship was about to break up. Jonah fled, and, and God hurled a storm at the boat. This word hurled here is the same word that's used in 1 Samuel to describe Saul throwing a spear at David, hurling a spear at him, hoping that he could pin David to the wall. This is the same word. The difference between Saul and God is that when God hurled a storm, he did not miss. This ship was about to break apart. And Isaiah 8.5 uses the same word, breaking apart, to talk about animals being torn to pieces. This great wind that was hurled at this boat is slowly being broken apart. And this shows God's power being demonstrated here. Verse 5, then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. The storm rages on, and the sailors are panicking. They are mortified. They are scared to death. And all of them are calling out to their own gods, and none of them are responding. Their gods 
did not respond because their gods cannot respond. This is a pluralistic society. No matter how loud they cried, their God was silent. Their gods are silent because they have no ears to hear. Their gods can't come and rescue them because they have no hands to act. Their gods can't go to them because they have no feet to walk. Their gods are dead gods. These sailors know, just looking at the weather, that there is something divine going on. These sailors are pros. They know that there's something different about the storm. And even in their panic, we see the demonstration of of the mercy of God. It would have been perfectly just and right for God to not only destroy Jonah for his disobedience, but to destroy every single one of those sailors because every single one of them have sinned against the Lord. Every single one of them are sinners. Not one of them deserve to live. Yet God, being rich in mercy, made his mercy known by sparing all of them. These people were throwing their cargo over the ship. They're trying to give rid of their livelihood to stay alive. But notice that Jonah, his own sin, how it affected others. Jonah's sin is what brought this storm. And this is the reality of all sin. Sin affects you and everyone around you. Sin does not have boundaries. Sin does not stay in its own lane. Sin cannot be contained in one location. Sin cannot be quarantined. Sin is never isolated in one place. Sin affects you and everyone around you. It's a humble reminder for all of us to fight sin. Your sin will first and foremost affect your relationship with the Lord, and it will harm you and everyone else around you. And we know this. We know this because when we look at the first three chapters of Genesis, we see how one sin affected every single one in humanity. Jonah's sin here is what put all, would place all of them in this dangerous predicament. Jonah was sleeping, not realizing that his action, his sin, is what caused so much distress for others. Verse 6, so the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. This captain is probably going down to the boats trying to throw other things out, trying to find all the non-essential, and he finds this one person sleeping. He goes down, sees Jonah snoring, counting sheep, probably drooling a bit, and he tries to wake him up. This captain probably screamed at him and told him to appeal to his God. And now the irony of all this is that he is right. It is Jonah's God that they offended. It is Jonah's God that can save them. This captain was right, and he did not know it. It is interesting that that during great times of distress, even the most atheistic person will cry out to God. I don't know how many people... If you know they're like that, they will say, oh, I'm not, oh, religion is not for me. I, don't, I believe in science. I don't believe in God. But the moment when there's affliction in their life, the moment that there is a trial, they begin to think, well, what, they begin to be drawn to things of the eternal. And I believe this, that God has placed that in our, own, in our lives. He put that in our own heart and our minds. In Ecclesiastes, he describes that God, Solomon describes that how eternity is written in our hearts. We, as being created by God, know that there is a God. And it's only our, in our suppression during our good times that we think that there is no God. But when the trials come, 
those suppression of truth will be weakened and they will wonder about the Lord. These sailors in their distress were crying out to God. The captain did all that he could to try to keep the people in his boat safe. Our God, although although he cannot be manipulated or controlled by everyone, is still merciful enough to spare the lives of sinners. Verse 7. Each man said to his mates, Come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. They began to cast lots to see whose God that they offended, and it landed on Jonah. Proverbs 16.33 reads, The lot is cast into the lap, but its decision is from the Lord. Every event that happened is from is, is, is God-ordained. They cast the lots, and God solemnly told them that it was Jonah. It is Jonah's sin, and it is Jonah's God that, they, that he offended. Verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us now on whose account has this calamity struck us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? They began to quickly question Jonah. They wanted to figure out, like, what is it about you? If you can imagine how frantic they are and trying to figure out what's going on, they're like essentially crying out, tell us now, give us all the information that we need to know. And it feels like they, because for them, they feel like they're running out of time. And Jonah responds in verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Jonah answers them, but notice what he omits here. He answers every question in terms of where he's from and what kind of people he's from. But he doesn't answer his occupation. He doesn't tell them that he is a prophet of God. This per, this, this person, Jonah's disguising his occupation. He, he, he describes himself as a person who fears the Lord of heaven. Now we know that's not true because at this point and even before the beginning of the book, he was, he's not submissive to God's word. How can you fear someone that you don't obey? And notice also how he describes it, who made the sea and the dry lands. He's describing the God who created all things. This affirms the power of God in all the realms. At this time, uh, this time, similar to the Roman Empire, when they worshipped gods, these gods have different realms that they occupy. Like the Baal, Baal gods is considered the, the god of the rain, the storm, and fertility. But the, Jonah is saying that he worships the God of heaven to create the land and the sea. This is every aspect of creation that God is in control of because he created everything. And there is some hypocrisy going on here because Jonah's statement does not match up to how he is living. How Jonah is living clearly does not show that he fears God and worships the, the God who created the heavens, the earth, and the land and the sea. And oftentimes when we are living in sin or we know people that are living in sin, they live their lives in contradiction and they're not even aware of it. They call themselves Christians, yet they are so oblivious to the fact that how they live their lives are not the same as how they profess with their mouth. Christians who do this are called hypocrites. But yet in light of all of that, in light of the hypocrisy, there is still mercy. In the Old Testament, this would be considered taking the Lord's name in vain. In vain. 
This would be blasphemy against the Lord. It's not saying that using the Lord's name as an expletive or a swear word. Rather, it's professing that you are a follower of Yahweh and failing to live according to his standards. God in his holy and just mind could have destroyed Jonah for this sin. Yet God shows mercy. And so, so it is with us, is it not? We have our moments where we fail to live up to what God's word has to say. Yet God is merciful. And, the, and if we understand how much and how holy he is, we will realize how much mercy is shown to us. The greater, under, the greater we understand that we have of his, mercy, of his holiness, the more we'll understand how much mercy is shown to us because we know how far we've fallen. Yet God still shows mercy. The mercy of God is not only shown in this, in this scene, the consequence of disobedience, but the next scene as well. And this next scene, we call it the chastising of the prophets from verse 10 to 14. The chastising of the prophet, verse 10 to 14. Verse 10. Then the man became extremely frightened, and they said to him, How could you do this? For the, man, for the men knew that he was fleeing, fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. At this point, the crew found out. They found out who it was, and they were horrified by the answers. The crew, the crew here realized which God is affected and who God is targeting. The only God that was offended was the God that Jonah worshipped, which is the only true God. They even asked Jonah, how could you do this? Literally, what is this you have done? These sailors were at awe and fearful of the Lord's power, but they were even more surprised by Jonah's disobedience. And there's a great question to ponder. How could you and I, who claim to worship such a powerful God, commit any sin against him? How could we not submit to him fully, knowing what he is capable of? This question for Jonah is a question for ourselves as well. The reality is that when we fall into sin, in these small moments, we become practical atheists. In the moment of sin, we live as though the all-powerful God does not exist. Verse 11. So they said to him, What should we do that the sea may become calm for us? For the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. They questioned the prophet on what to do, but they do because they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do. They're running out of time. The sailors were uh, they worship these other gods, so they don't they're unfamiliar with the God of Israel. So they asked them, How do we appease your God? How do we stop this from happening? And they wanted to know. But notice at the end of verse 11, the storm became stormier. The, the, the sea was churning greater and greater. And they, they, they knew that throwing their cargo overboard was not a solution, but only brought them a little bit amount of time. These sailors were desperate and they were anxious. Verse 12, and he said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And the sea will become calm for you, for I know that on account of me, this great storm has come upon you. Jonah explained that the only way to survive this is to throw him into the sea. And notice, 
At the time of when this was happening, Jonah did not know that a whale or a great fish was going to swallow him. I believe the book of Jonah is written in retrospect. He's, Jonah's looking back and writing back, writing down all the things that happened. So, but at the time of this, of this event, he did not know that there was going to be a fish that would save him. He essentially wanted to kill himself. He thought to himself that he deserved to die. He would rather die than for Nineveh to be saved. And Jonah was even willing to admit that it was all his fault. And the only way for them to live in the mind at the time was for him to die. He didn't want to have anything to do with the Ninevites. He would rather die than to see them live. Verse 13. However, the men rode desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. The sailors at first didn't do what Jonah said. They wanted to attempt to try to make it to shore. They, they tried to row, but it did not work. These sailors wanted to spare Jonah's life. And it is sad to see that everyone on the boat was concerned for the life of Jonah except for Jonah himself. And the only person that Jonah cared about was himself. Jonah was being selfish. He only cared for himself and expressed no interest for other people that were fearful. Remember, at this time, when it was written, they did not know that Jonah was going to be saved. These sailors, they thought to themselves, we throw this guy into the water. He claims to be the follower of, the, of, of this great God that's causing all of this problem. What if we threw him in and then there's going to be a greater and stricter judgment on us? They did not want to kill this person because they were afraid of Yahweh. Verse 14. Then they called out on, on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. They feared killing Jonah. They prayed to Yahweh. And I believe that this is the moment where they got saved. This is the moment where they have become believers. They realized that the punishment that they are experiencing is because of the disobedience of Jonah. The sailors realize that they are the innocent party here. And this is interesting because we know that God will do whatever it takes to get our attention, both for the believers and the non-believers. For the non-believers, God will do whatever it takes for us to, for non-believers to see that all that they are living for is useless. The Lord will afflict them so that they can look to the eternal. And for the bulls and those that are believers who are living in sin, God will do whatever it takes to draw them to repentance. God is merciful in that way, that he will use difficult circumstances in your life to draw you to him. Because if we were to continue living in sin, living life away from him, there will only be pain and suffering. God will use trials to awaken believers from their slumber as a way for us to refocus our walk with him. The Lord's disciplining of his own children is a course correct so that the path that they are on will be pleasing to him, that will be pleasing to him and is filled with joy and obedience. This is all the act of mercy. Our God is a merciful God in saving both, giving opportunity for the non-believers and the believers to turn to him. Not only is the mercy of God shown through the chastising of his people. But lastly, God's mercy is shown through the relinquishment of judgment. 
this last scene that demonstrates God's mercy is the relinquishment of his judgment. Verse 15 to 17. Notice verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The sailors threw, and this word threw here is the same word for hurled all the way back in verse 4. It's the exact same word. They hurled Jonah overboard, and immediately the storm stops. The cessation of this raging tempest was proof that Jonah was right about who God is. And the God that Jonah worship is indeed the only God and is the creator of both the land and the sea. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. These sailors, after seeing the storm calm, became disturbed, and they, they were amazed by this. The sailors realized that Yahweh is the one true God, so they began making, offering sacrifices to him. These sailors offer sacrifice whatever cargo they have left. Whatever they have left, they offered it to him. Other commentators believe that maybe he landed, they, 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 they parted, and they, they, they docked the boat first and then offered sacrifice. But that's not really the point. The point is the fact that these people were saved. They turned from their pagan ways. They turned from the pagan gods that they, that they just worshipped moments ago. And they are now fully devoted to Yahweh. They were rescued both in this life and in the next. From the perspective of these sailors, all that has happened was that they threw this man into the sea because of God's judgment. Again, the sailors did not realize that there was going to be a whale that was going to swallow, swallow or a fish that swallowed Jonah. So in their minds, they're thinking, oh, this is over. This guy has embraced the judgment of God. Yet these sailors experienced mercy because God demonstrate to them and they offer sacrifice and they begin to worship him and him alone Yahweh is the true and only God our God is a God of mercy he has a unique love for humans because all man is made in his image and likeness God is merciful and compassionate towards us by giving us a way for us to escape his wrath God will even use the folly of his own people to draw non-believers to him. Our God demonstrated his mercy to all, and we must worship this good God. We must go and tell everyone of this God. For every non-believer we know, we understand that every single one of them are still alive on this earth, who are still above the ground, are here because of the mercy of God. Every moment that they are alive, it is because of God's mercy. Every single time that a person gets to work and goes home safely, it is a mercy of God. Every single time a person goes to sleep at night and is able to wake up the next morning, it is because of the mercy of God. Every single moment that a person lives in sin without repentance and without having immediate judgment is because of the mercy of God. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. And we must understand that God has shown mercy to us and we must go and tell others about this merciful God. If you are not a believer here today, I plead with you to turn from your sin and embrace this merciful God. Grace is God giving you something that you do not deserve. Mercy is God withholding something that you do deserve. 
in the gospel, both are being shown. In the gospel, Jesus Christ came into the world, fully God, fully man, living the life perfectly, and died on the cross for our sin. That is both mercy and grace. We do not deserve salvation because of what Christ has done. We deserve God's wrath, but yet God withholds his own wrath and puts it onto his own son so that we can be made right with him. And God died on the cross for us and in three days rose from the dead, letting us know that we have resurrection. We place our faith in him, that we do not have to die, that there is eternal life for us. And if that and if you have not received Christ today, I beg you to turn from your sin and embrace our good God. And if you here are a believer, tell people about this good God. Tell people, share your faith. Tell people about the mercy that is demonstrated to them. In every single facet of their life, God has given is giving them mercy and mercy and mercy. And we can go and reveal that to them. Tell them about Jesus. What a great privilege for us to be shown mercy and go and tell others about this merciful God. Don't waste the remaining time of your life not telling people about who this is. And for those who have not given their life to the Lord, don't waste your life today denying God. Receive God's mercy today and you will be saved. Cry out to him and he will save you. There is nothing that you can do in this life to achieve salvation. There is no good works that, you can, that, you can, uh, that you've done that would wipe away your sin. Only the good works of Jesus Christ can save you from God's wrath. Only by him and him alone. Look at verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. You'll notice that even though Jonah was thrown down here, remember, Jonah did not know that this fish was going to go and save him. He thought it was over. He thought he was going to meet his maker. But yet when he was thrown down there, this fish swallowed Jonah. He saved Jonah. God spared this person's life. It is, it is an act of God's mercy. Jonah's life was spared despite his own disobedience. And perhaps some of you today are living in sin right now. You're harvesting and holding on to certain sins, and you think that God is going to not, uh, God's going to like to look over it. But yet God promises that if, you, if he loves you, he will discipline you for your sin. And we should see that as mercy. We should see that God's disciplining rod to us is an act of mercy. And we must love this God who's always so merciful to us. This narrative does not end here, as you can see, because there are three other chapters. And the fact that Jonah, we know that Jonah lives. He doesn't just stay in this, whip, this, this fish and then dies there with the fish, but he does get saved. And we'll look at how God's mercy is demonstrated more in November. Lord, let's pray. Lord, we ask you to be with us as we think about your mercies more. We are unworthy of your goodness and your love towards us. Lord, your love is infinite, and there is no way in this life where we could fully comprehend how much is shown to us. Lord, as we look into your word, I do pray that you can convict us of sin in our lives. Allow us to see our sin and allow us to be softened to it so that we can repent and live in obedience to you. 
Lord, I pray for those who do not know you today, who have not experienced your mercy, who have not fully experienced it. I ask that you can let, reveal your mercy to them. Let them see how merciful you are in the sin that they've lived all of their lives, that you have been so patient and so kind to them. I pray that for those who do not know you, that they can come to know you, that they can turn from all, not only their sin, but their own self-righteousness and trust in you and take on your son's righteousness. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, church family, thank you for your time. Uh, yeah, we, we, we feel free to fellowship afterwards and uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Have a blessed week.